Hello and welcome everybody to the Click Podcast. Uh, hope you all are having fun at Eat Denver, and I know I'm hearing a lot about NFT Paris. We are having a major FOMO here uh, for missing out these wonderful events, but we are sort of coping up with that by talking to interesting people and bringing you these wonderful episodes. So today we have a very different project that is not a DAO yet, but will be uh, turning into a DAO. Uh, and to talk about that project, we have uh, Anze Nock from uh, Dia, Dia DAO. Hello, Anze. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Doing great. Also, kind of uh, not too happy not being at Denver, but uh, we have our team members there. Uh, it's just that I live too far away to go there. So yeah, really nice to meet you and happy, happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. So fantastic. You know, it's great having you over here uh, in this show. Uh, for uh, people who've been constant supporters, this is going to be our 30th episode, you know, for a small show that's kind of started since September, you know, this is a good milestone for us to have and really thankful that all of you has been kind of stuck around to support, you know, the two of us and uh, thank you so much, Anze, for uh, joining us on this small, but it's kind of a precious moment for the both of us that way. Um, so with that, you know, we want to take forward, you know, interesting topics that, you know, push the boundaries of what's valuable for uh, the DAO ecosystem in terms of insights. And uh, the way in which DIA has kind of been uh, building out its community and shaping up the pathways of uh, decentralization for its project in a manner that's productive is uh, pretty interesting for me to have and and I thought that would be a great uh, you know conversation to have and with uh, we have with us Anze who's kind of leading growth as well as the whole uh, decentralization and community building efforts over at DIA uh, and we will be just kind of talking about uh, how that whole uh, process has laid out and, you know, how that's kind of impacted the broader DIA, um, you know, goals and, you know, whether it's turned out to be better or not. But before we get into DIA, we, let's kind of dive into the man Anze himself. Anze, talk about your background and how did you uh, kind of grow into becoming uh, the lead over at DIA? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks again for the intro. Uh, so, my name is Anja Noc, I come from Slovenia, a very small country in the, let's say, center east of Europe. Um, my professional background uh, comes from, I was, uh, I have a degree from economics. Um, uh, my professional path started when I joined this uh, online food delivery platform, uh, the biggest one in Slovenia. Uh, worked there for five years, learned a lot about digital marketing, business development, and community building. Um, and then in 2016, uh, or 2017, I decided to move to Shanghai, China, uh, to study there, but also to look for work. Uh, and this is where the opportunity came, and this is where I kind of first uh, encountered, my first encounter with, real, real encounter with crypto came in, uh, where I joined the team uh, there was building a project on Neo blockchain. Uh, this was at the end of 2017, at the peak of the of the 2017 uh, bull market. Um, so I joined that team as a digital marketing manager. Um, basically, my role was to uh, to spread the word about the project, to build a um, non-Chinese community, 
but also to try out all these different uh, growth hacking techniques, um, community engagement techniques, and so on. Uh, so after two years, uh, I moved back to Slovenia. Um, I did go back to my previous company where I worked as a COO, uh, learning a lot more about the management roles and so on. Um, but meanwhile, still kept uh, personally investing uh, time and um, time and money into crypto, uh, learning about how it works, what are the important things to look out for in crypto. Um, so I decided to kind of uh, look for new opportunities, and uh, this is where Dia came uh, came in. Uh, basically, uh, the recruiter found me. It was about a year ago. Um, they were looking for someone to fill in a position of a community architect. Uh, and this is basically what I'm doing at DIA. Um, and what does that mean? Um, I'm basically in charge of the whole community aspect. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also a lead of uh, DIA DAO. So um, maybe a bit later, I can explain what DIA DAO is. Uh, but my role mainly revolves around marketing operations, uh, building a marketing strategy, uh, and basically everything uh, surrounding the community at DIA. I must say, you know, to be kind of involved with working with crypto since 2017 is pretty late, you know, because even I uh, was kind of around since 2017, but I had to sh shuttle between so many ventures, so many losses to kind of reach to this point where, okay, you know, things are kind of stable down uh, with the podcast and what whatever work that I'd done, you know, on the side. And... It's a good transition also that you kind of move from digital marketing to communities. For somebody who is looking out to grow the audience that way now, you have uh, a phenomenal opportunity to shape a community towards uh, the broader goals of the project. I think that's pretty lit. Uh, and just to step step for, step back a little here, I want to understand uh, exactly what DIA is all about and how, I mean, like we all know that, you know, the Oracle system um, is kind of a pretty important piece of infrastructure and Chainlink really dominates the news there, you know, but I want to know more about how, what DIA is all about as a project and how it kind of differentiates itself from Chainlink um, as, uh, you know, as a kind of a usable oracle for your clients. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's a great question. So DIA in one sentence is a multi-chain uh, data and Oracle platform for Web3, um, which basically just means what are Oracles for those listeners that, that are not really aware. Uh, Oracles are basically uh, mm -hmm. companies or protocols that uh, get, gather data on one side and then push this data on chain. Uh, the problem with blockchains is that they're deterministic and they cannot read um, real world um, data in a, in a way that like uh, usual Web2 applications can. So this is where DIA comes in. Uh, and the difference between our infrastructure and infrastructure of other oracles, such as Chainlink, is that we, we, um, our approach to data sourcing is end-to-end, -end, which means that we deploy uh, scrapers on various centralized and decentralized exchanges and basically gather uh, trading data on a single trade basis uh, from all these exchanges, gather it into a, into a database, um, apply computation and different methodologies to it uh, based on what the clients need and then pack this up into like an Oracle product for each uh, dedicated client. So each client gets a dedicated Oracle, which they can customize. And the different difference between us and other Oracles, or I would say most Oracles is that 
most oracles get their data sets from premium data providers such as CoinGecko, uh, Kaiko, which basically they source all of these data from different um, exchanges. They pack them up into packages such as uh, this is pr this is the price feed package of top hundred assets, which which is all great. You get probably very reliable price feeds, but the DApp who's integrating these sources, um, these uh, price feeds, doesn't know where these price feeds are coming from. So what are the sources used to calculate the price feeds for these assets? And this is where DIA kind of is a bit different uh, because we do take the time to really source the data directly. Um, and then basically this allows us not only to offer full customization regarding sources to uh, DApp developers, but also to deploy, to be very fast to deploy on new new chains. Uh, for one one example being EVM Moss, uh, where we deployed our first Oracle or integrated our Oracle structure, uh, I think within three hours of the mainnet launch on EVM Moss. Um, at the same time, we also um, are much much more able to to cater to. Um, we're much more flexible when it comes to needs of dev developers because we can support this long tail assets. So assets that don't have a lot of trading volume or are not listed on big uh, centralized exchanges. Why? Because we do source data directly from all these smaller decentralized exchanges on various blockchains. Um, and we're doing that on 30 plus blockchains. We're doing that from almost 100 different data sources. And we're already supplying data for or, or, over 100 uh, DAP partners. Um, so just to give you an example, let's say um, lately um, Arbitrum has been gaining a lot of popularity and there have been, there have been like a few new decentralized exchanges uh, deployed there, such as like uh, Camelot DAX. Um, on Camelot DAX, there have been listed several new projects and their tokens, which are not traded on any of the centralized exchanges. But because we are very fast to deploy our data scrapers on Camelot, we can now support price feeds for all of the assets that are being traded there, enabling dApp developers in DeFi to integrate these price feeds into their dApps. Um, so I would say that this is uh, definitely our, our, main, uh, our main strength that offers us flexibility. It offers dApp developers flexibility when they are deciding what uh, types of inputs they want to have in, uh, for their price feeds. Um, and at the same time enables us to support these long tail assets um, across across different blockchains. Um, and if we're just talking about the price feeds, uh, I, I also want to kind of share what product categories we do have. Um, the main one, the basic one is definitely the um, basic price feeds, such as price feed of Bitcoin, such as price feed of Ethereum and so on. Uh, we also support uh, NFT five projects by supplying these NFT floor price oracles, where we source data directly from OpenSea, LuxRare, and other NFT marketplaces. Uh, we apply certain methodologies, uh, and then we are basically able to determine fair floor prices for these NFT collections, where we um, we can basically uh, ignore the the wash trading volume um, or apply different methodologies that each partner kind of requires. Uh, the third kind of uh, product uh, that we have is also this on-chain verifiable randomness, which is used in a lot of uh, blockchain games, uh, new NFT means, and so on. Uh, we have this also deployed on, I think, uh, 10 or even more blockchains. 
Uh, and the latest product that we launched uh, kind of falls into the first category, uh, but has an additional uh, feature to it, um, is basically the fair price fits for LSDs. So we've seen a lot of popularity uh, with these uh, liquid stake derivatives, liquid staking platforms uh, lately. And we believe that after this uh, Shanghai uh, hard fork, that liquid staking markets will, uh, will continue their, their fast growth. So what we built is basically a product um, that doesn't only track the prices of these LSDs, such as STETH from Lido or STDOT from Lido or RETH from Rocket Pool, but also takes a look into the collateral ratios of these uh, assets. Or, or, yeah, for example, if you want to, um, how, how liquid staking works is you basically go to Lido you stake your Ethereum with Lido, and in return, you get STETH, which acts like a liquid, uh, basically a liquid stake token that you can use then in different DeFi protocols, or you can just hold it in your wallets, or you can trade it on a, a different exchanges. Um, but once you do stake your ETH, this basically means a certain quantity of STETH. And what we're kind of tracking uh, on chain is whether these collateral ratios are. Um, matching the the minted STETH in the circulation. So um, we believe this is a very important part of the fair pricing of LSDs because if a certain protocol is under collateralized, then their LSD should not have the same value as the underlying asset. Um, just take, for example, let's say that Lido only had 50% of collateralization and they're issuing STETH that should be redeemable one by one with ETH. Um, Basically, the fair price of this of STETH in this case would be 50% lower than the the price, the market price of Ethereum, because there is no collateral, and if everybody wants to kind of exchange redeem their ETH back, they're not able to do so. Um, and this is basically the latest product that we've built, um, and we might we might build more products to kind of help out improve trans transparency within the DeFi space. Um, yeah. Sorry for this long uh, intro, India. Uh, maybe if you have some uh, additional questions, I'm happy to, to, to answer. No, I think it was great. You know, I think uh, you know having that sort of context about what DIA does allows us to kind of get into uh, the broader. Uh, it's about the why, right? I mean, to understand that we need to understand what DIA does well. So it's. Uh, great that the context was there. I understood a lot more about liquid staking, staking from this conversation. <laughs> it's going to be easy for me to read the next Bankless newsletter now. <laughs> and But it uh, helps me. I just want to step back and understand this, that, all right, you know, you have this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the way you kind of aggregate price feeds from these decentralized exchanges, you get it from NFT exchanges, and now, uh, LSD, wow, LSD, uh, you know, these LSD uh, projects as well to be able to kind of, uh, to, it's kind of much more flexible. It's going straight into a, a database. And from there, the price feeds are being taken and uh, kind of packaged to your clients. But in other uh, oracles, you kind of have packages that are built and that's sent out. Uh, have I got the... Right. Exactly. So if you're a small product, uh, project, I don't really like to talk about the competition, uh, but mainly there there is one Oracle deployed for various projects, whereas we always deploy a dedicated Oracle for each project that, that needs it. So 
Yeah, basically what you said is correct. Um, okay. We do source this data directly so that then we can let our customers decide which sources they want to use, which methodologies they want to use, how they want to calculate average price, how they want to look for uh, outliers in the price feeds. So, for example, if one exchange is reporting much higher price than the other, should this be taken into account? Should this be ignored? All of these kind of setups, uh, we're kind of enabling our partners to decide on. Um, whereas other other oracles uh, typically offer uh, one set of um, the services uh, for free and everything else uh, could, I'm not saying it is, but could be uh, somewhat like a premium premium package uh, for for the issue for the DApps. So you offer these sort of decentralized. Um, sorry to step in here. Well, you offer these sort of uh, dedicated oracles to. Uh, these clients, you know, and it seems like, you know, you've kind of uh, thought for, you know, thought well about how you want to like decentralize from packages to kind of much more real time feeds because you have your own dedicated database, you have your own dedicated oracles that's coming in. Uh, so it seems like, you know, as a team, you have it worked out about how to kind of manage your, uh, you know, clients that well and uh, how the whole architecture is going to be for the uh, help me understand, you know, about why the decentralization of the community and the teams, you know, the sort of uh, the development teams or the guilds, you know, that kind of constitute your DAO. Why is that important for a project, you know, when you compare it with other oracles where, uh, you know, there's like a centralized team that's kind of being involved there. Why is the decentralization of the community important in this aspect? Yeah, that's a really good question. And actually DIA has been set up as a DAO since the inception of in 2020. Uh, we actually have a legal incorporated DAO registered in Switzerland, Zook. Um, so the infrastructure has always been kind of meant to be run in a decentralized way. Uh, but this is basically a slow progress. Um, what I mean by that is the team's vision was that it, the product should be built with the community and for the community because this is what the basic uh the basic ideology of crypto is uh and we're kind of trying to build on top of that uh that being said because we're we're a b2b uh company we don't really produce um we don't produce tools or 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 uh software for for uh, retail users to use uh, it's very hard to actually build your community and um the easiest way to build a community as a b2b company is basically to have contributors who are also community members to join the team, to help us build the product, to understand the product, to give uh, recommendations, to, to voice their opinions, to vote on certain changes, and basically develop this product along with the builders from the crypto space. Uh, so that's why we started off as like a, the only vertical that we actually used the community for was the development vertical. So for building data scrapers, for um, creating this technical documentation, um, for building certain monitoring uh, software and so on. But um, in the last year before I joined, the team decided to kind of expand this to all product verticals, um, not just product verticals, but company verticals, such as uh, content creation, marketing, uh, growth, uh, business development, uh, design uh, operations. Um, why? Because this basically enables you to scale on a um, on a much higher level. Uh, 
just imagine that for everything that you, for every uh, department, you have to hire uh, someone who's leading the, the department, someone who's kind of the managing the department, and then someone who's operating the department. Uh, this creates like this big, almost a cor corporation-like structure um, where they're not only high costs, uh, but there, it only, also takes a lot longer to really uh, develop all the processes, to really manage the people. Uh, then you, you need to have an office. If you don't have an office, then you have to provide all this necessary equipment for people. And what we kind of um, realized is that crypto is a very um, cyclical thing. So like we have two years of, of extreme growth of like a lot of, a lot of innovation happening. But then we have two years where not really much is happening, where all crypto companies are just trying to stay afloat, uh, trying to do to continue building in the bear market um, and trying to kind of get ready for the next bull market. And we believe that the DAO structure is a perfect structure to do something like that because you basically work on a bounty to bounty basis. So when we have a need for something or when we want to launch a new project, we can simply launch this project via our uh, DAO community. We, we select the most appropriate people to work on this project. And then we have a dedicated team for the project. But their result or their, let's say, reward is, is driven by the result. So basically, if they do provide the result that we kind of agreed on in, in, in advance, they will get the reward that they deserve. But if the work is not done in a way that it should be, then the reward is either slashed or, or not given. So this kind of gives us more uh, flexibility when it comes to doing all these kind of smaller new projects, but also gives us much higher uh, connection to the actual community because now we have people who have been building with us, who have been writing content for us, who have been helping us update our, our website, uh, managing the community, um, producing content for Twitter and so on. Um, then now we have like, over 700 contributors that know exactly what DIA is doing. They understand our product. They understand kind of our vision or like the direction we're trying to, to go to. And even though most of them are not active contributors on a monthly basis, they're active uh, community members that support DIA uh, because they're, they are a part of what, what we're kind of building. Um, and I think this is, this is kind of the main, um, the main thing that our founders and, and all of our community has in common is this vision of a decentralized space, um, which I think uh, maybe lastly is very, very important when it comes to data because you want data to be um, verified by, by let's say third party sources and you don't want the data to be too centralized because if, the, if data is too centralized, then basically what you're seeing what the, the data that we push out, the, what you're seeing could be uh, basically um, somewhat affected by this centralized entity that it's owning this data. And we actually want this data to be, um, to be not tampered with. And we should have like this zero knowledge proof that this was not tampered with. So basically the biggest uh, next step that we're doing right now is how we can achieve this decentralization in our product stack or our product infrastructure uh, in this year so that the whole uh, journey of data is completely decentralized and doesn't rely on uh, 
trusting the DIA as a company or organization. So um, on one side, we have this community building DAO, which, which will help us develop everything that we need to make this happen and to grow the community. And on the other side, we have another kind of initiative, which is really com completing the decentralization of the infrastructure of the data journey uh, that we provide. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there, you know. Uh, one is that uh, it's kind of awesome to see that, you know, you were uh, thinking of uh, making it into a formal law ever since inception and you have kind of incorporated it well enough uh, since that point. And, uh, you know, you've understood the markets quite well and you've kind of oriented contributions around that aspect as well. What was something that was uh, purely development oriented for bounties has now slowly transitioned into something that's uh, also involving the community at the architecture at the community development uh, level also allowing you to scale uh, your operations quite well uh, and that's kind of a logical step for somebody who's in crypto where you're kind of tailoring to clients and teams that's you know uh, globally uh, you know scattered and what i want to understand at this point is uh, while uh, you know you have that sort of transitions where, uh, you know, what was once development oriented has now transitioned into community development, has transitioned into broader non-tech aspects. And then uh, going forward, you may see a full decentralization. Uh, how is that pain points? I mean, that whole uh, growing pains that come with that, you know, uh, could you walk us through that journey, you know, about uh, what was it like, at, you know, since the start, of having to incorporate the community without the right tools or uh, how are you kind of building that sort of structures that allow for seamless contribution, you know, and um, uh, also what's the sort of thinking and uh, inspiration that's helped you uh, craft a, uh, like a smooth onboarding and a small, smooth uh, community for DIA? Yeah, that's, I think it's an excellent question that I think every DAO operator you ask will provide a different answer. Um, but for us, yeah, the, the research part or like the inspiration part. So which DAO we want to copy, which structure do we want to copy? What's the best that, it, that is on the market? The problem is, was that um, there's still not many DAOs out there. I mean, there are a lot of DAOs, but well-structured DAOs with a lot of members. Uh, with very structured kind of work streams are very rare to find. And when we were doing that a year ago, it was even less. Uh, also, there were not many uh, DAO management platforms available. Um, but what we could do is basically um, we did source inspirations from giants like MakerDAO, uh, AragonDAO, BanklessDAO, and basically checked how, which platforms do they use, which tools do they use for community management, what uh, product verticals that they have uh, within the DAO, um, what platforms do they use for voting, what platforms do they use for communication, and so on. Uh, so basically that led to us having a lot of these uh, discovery calls with different uh, DAO tooling platforms or even Web3 tooling, tooling platforms. Uh, and in the end, we kind of decided to choose uh, DWORK. So uh, DWORK is a tool uh, basically very similar to Trello or Asana in Web2 but it's kind of focusing on Web3 and DAO specifically. Um, DWORK basically enables you to push 
to create different verticals, or we call them guilds. So we have this uh, onboarding guild, uh, copywriting guild, design guild, business development guild, operations guild, growth and promo guild, uh, tech guild, and I think HR guild. I'm not sure if I forgot one or not, but it's not it's not that relevant. Um, but it does enable you to create these kind of teams or sub teams, and then within this each guild or each team you can push out different bounties that you assign a certain reward to. Uh, another great feature of Dwork is as well is that it combines contributors and DAOs in one place. So when you go to Dwork, you can easily check the most uh, popular DAOs on Dwork as a contributor, but also as a DAO, you can go and you can check the most active contributors on Dwork and then basically try to find a way to reach out to them. Um, so we decided to use Dwork um, we tried a few kind of set infrastructure setups in the beginning. Uh, we tested them out. We had like probably two or three months probation period where we just onboarded uh, a very kind of really the most active community members from DIA, uh, trying to get their feedback of what's working, what's not, um, how do we kind of integrate with other apps and so on. Um, so after that, we kind of decided to uh, to use Discord as the main uh, communication channel. Uh, Dwork has this feature where you can basically integrate with Discord so that when a new task is created, no new bounty is created or when it's assigned to someone, it does create a dedicated uh, channel within the uh, Discord group, which means that it does enable you to easily communicate with a contributor once uh, a certain bounty is set up or a certain contributor is assigned to this bounty. Um, so this is kind of like this uh, work, work DAO structure that we decided to have. Um, and then I guess the next big step, which was a really important one, and we didn't know it's a big problem before we actually started doing this, uh, is the onboarding process, right? Um, First, we actually said, yeah, let's get as many people as onboarded as possible. And then we'll see who are really the people that are great contributors who have certain skill sets that others don't have and so on. Um, but with a proper onboarding system, you onboard people, but you don't know what their skills actually are. I mean, we did have this kind of uh, application form, which they had to fill. Um, but then you would just get their CVs or like claimed uh claimed um experiences working experiences but since we're in crypto we we kind of decided okay that's not enough like every anybody can can say i worked for microsoft for 10 years and i built this this and this but the reality is that they they didn't right and we're not here to really verify this uh, we're here to actually reward you or give you some bounties if you have some certain skills that we're looking for so what we did is we basically created this um, bespoke onboarding system for each of the guilds, so each each teams. So just to give you an example for copywriting guild, uh, any new contributor in order to get onboarded and get access to the all the articles that were needed to be written, uh, they had to go through this onboarding process where they had to write an article about what is DIA. This article or this submission gave us a lot of information. It gave us information about, okay, does this person know how to write? Do they have a great writing skill? Do they have a good English? So do, do, do they speak English well enough uh, to become a writer? Do they understand what DIA is? 
are they copy pasting content or they're using kind of their own words? Is this being done by an AI? I, all of these things we are able to see through this kind of onboarding process. And at the same time, we decided to kind of create these leadership roles where we had um, a leader from the Diascore team. We appointed a leader for each of these DAO guilds. So, for example, our content manager, Edia, is also copywriting guild leader of the copywriting guild. Uh, me, as like a marketing community, I am the lead of the growth and promo guild at Diada and so on. So this kind of gave us opportunity to let people finish up this onboarding uh, <clears throat> bounties, but then just quickly through reading this onboarding bounty uh, result or whatever work they did, I was able to see and the others were able to see who really are the people that we can kind of give bounties to. So, um, and this is how the process started. We were onboarding a lot of people. We kind of also noticed that this was kind of like a, um, this is where, where most of the congestion also happened because we got like 10, 15, 20, 20 applications per day uh, for, for copywriting guild, for the design guild. And just reading through these articles and then basically providing feedback to these contributors was a very timely, uh, was a timely job. So we almost immediately also onboarded someone from the community uh, who had experience in uh, lecturing and editing content. So that guy actually became like our onboarding reviewer and he would basically do this first review of the onboarding tasks and then forward those that were the most uh, perspective ones forward those to the core team members so that we could kind of, or to the guild leaders so that we would have an easier job of onboarding people. Um, and yeah, I think this was kind of like the biggest, the biggest challenge that we saw. And I think this is still a challenge, how to do this onboarding to take as little time as possible for the team, but to provide as much information as possible, um, for the team to be able to identify who are the contributors that should be getting more attention uh, than others. I kind of see that, you know, I mean, when you have like an entire global community that's kind of focused towards a project, you know, you kind of get all kinds of different actors coming in, some who may be uh, genuinely uh, caring about the project and some who may be uh, kind of uh, looking to scam uh, people out of money and you know, uh, just waste time. And in that regard, uh, the sort of uh, onboarding process that you've talked about also kind of gives us an, uh, an uh, kind of throws light on, you know, the sort of challenges that comes that way. Uh, and the way I see the, the sort of work that you've kind of created, it's uh, oriented towards a bounty structure built on top of D work where there's proper communication channels done through Discord for broader community engagement. And that's great. Uh, you know, you kind of have an idea of who are all great people also from the sort of uh, filters that you keep at each stage across operations. And you have like a core team member uh, along with some person who's kind of pretty good within the community to kind of step in at certain points. So those are all pretty uh, neat stages to kind of involve the community at. But what I want to understand at this point is, uh, you take a look at DAOs uh, or communities. I mean, most DAOs in this space are, I mean, D knows DAOs in name only. <laughs> but uh, you take a look at, uh, you know, your aspiration to kind of make DIA into a proper DAO. 
it requires that uh, the community also uh, gets the opportunity to shape the direction of where DAO, where DIA is actually headed in terms of architecture, in terms of uh, supporting use cases, in terms of orienting the team towards that. Now, at the same time, you have the core team's um, you know goals, the way they do things, and their uh, kind of way in which you know, the, their culture and all of that. You know, uh, and when you have this sort of, uh, I wouldn't want to call it conflict because uh, you know we it's not like there, but there's like some sort of a, there are two parties here. You know, so how do you kind of bridge that gap? Uh, because you're looking to formally transition this into a DAO where the community gets uh, that sort of uh, control over these things. What were the sort of challenges that you saw uh, with the core team's culture and, uh, you know, the other aspect, the uh, community also starting to get, uh, you know, this sort of involvement with the operations um, in terms of uh, goals hit, in terms of cultural differences, would love to understand what were the what were the pros, what great things came out of it, and you know what are the challenges that you faced, you know, when it comes to maintaining that culture and bridging the gap between the core team and the community. How are we kind of trying to fit our vision and our narratives to to the wider community? Uh, it's basically by having this uh, regular communication with them. So uh, we do have. Uh, these bi-weekly community calls where we go through everything we did in the past two weeks. We always have this open Q&A session in the end. Uh, we are doing monthly AMAs with the core team members in our Telegram. Uh, we are doing a lot of posted AMAs within other communities. Um, and we always produce this kind of monthly recaps, weekly recaps, uh, and basically just share all the latest developments and achievements uh, with our community in, in various channels. Um, yeah, I think uh, that it's great, you know, that, uh, see, if I, I don't know how DAO governance is going to evolve better, but at least when it comes to ideas itself, I like the concept of optimized democracy. You take a look at DAOs today, uh, especially even the majors, take Aave, take uh, a lot of the other DAOs as well, you know, when the bear market hits, looking at the existing concept of one token, one vote, uh, with this existing system, uh, during a bear market, they're not able to hit quorum. They're not able to hit a certain perimeter of vote achieved. You know, that's the sort of uh, problems that a massive community like Aave is facing. Even though, I mean, when you talk about their Discord numbers, they have like 60,000 members or uh, huge followings, you know. But when it has to hit like a threshold of Aave votes, they can't even hit that. They can't even hit their own uh, targets that way. So uh, what is the point of having people who are having that token, but don't really care enough to uh, make, you know, to use their power to, uh, you know, shape the direction of Aave. When you have that power, you should be able to use it. But people so, yeah, just maybe... care a lot. Yeah, there's something Sorry. interesting. Maybe I can I can interrupt you uh, with that. Please, please, please. That, uh, I mean, currently we do have various DAO votes happening for the DAO as well. Uh, mainly, those are being used for validating new data sources for the DAO platform. So, let's say we want to integrate um, our infrastructure with Binance, uh, we would first basically create a DAO proposal, saying, "Hey, we want to add Binance as a new data source." 
and then we put this as a vote on snapshot. Um, we, we are also seeing that uh, there is a growth in voting and, and growth in the number of people voting, um, but it's very difficult to really uh, to attract your token holders to vote on these changes. So uh, something really cool happened. Um, we have this yearly uh, DAO um, DIA token uh, treasury unlock, where I think 10% of our token supply gets released every year. Um, and we do kind of create this core team proposal to how these DIA tokens will be used uh, for development, uh, for growth, and so on. Um, but then we kind of leave two week or one month period where community is able to kind of propose their own ideas of how the token should be used. And this year, um, we actually received a community proposal that said, what if we take 10% of these release DIA tokens and we give them as an airdrop to anyone who voted for any of the DIA DAO proposals in 2022? Um, and of course we said, yeah, wow, this is a great idea. Let's put this for a vote. And this actually got outvoted this actually outvoted the core team proposal. Um, and we were happy to do that because we do believe that rewarding the voters in some way uh, should be very important, especially because we don't offer any staking or anything for a token. Um, we said, okay, let's reward those people who have been busy using our token to vote on these changes, helping us govern, helping us confirm all these kind of new sources. Uh, so we did that. And Immediately after this proposal was accepted, the number of voters increased a lot because why? People are now expecting this airdrop to also happen next year and then the next year. Um, and this is kind of some of the initiatives that help uh, drive this voting up. Um, whereas we don't know if this airdrop is going to happen next year. It's actually up to the community to propose and up to the community to vote for this proposal as well. Um, but just maybe giving, giving my, uh, my side of the story here, um, whereas I started voting for these proposals um, somewhere mid last year. Uh, so after I joined the team, I did buy some DIA tokens just to kind of have some skin in the game and so on. Um, and I did receive this airdrop and this airdrop was like 30% of all of my DIA stacks. So basically <laughs> by voting on this, it provides much higher APY than you would get in most of the staking platforms or, or staking protocols. And this is definitely something that's very interesting, but it's not something we want to really promote too much publicly because then what happens is people will buy the token, they will vote just so they can get the airdrop, which again is not really uh, the vision that we have. We actually want to have people who believe in us to buy the token and then use this token to, to voice their opinions. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I do agree what you said about Ave and others. Uh, and in general, I think DAOs are very are still quite inefficient structures for decision-making. Um, but at the same time, they're very efficient for, uh, for scaling the whatever production or uh, whatever product uh, companies are building. And then at the same time, Snapshot already has all these different strategies that DAOs can use. Uh, for example, what you can do is you can uh, assign voting power to a certain NFT. So let's say we have we want to give our 50 most active community members extra voting rights. We can create NFTs. We can give them these NFTs. Then we, we can create a strategy in Snapshot using these NFTs would generate, let's say, a 1,000 DIA voting power. And then without those people having 
uh, DIA tokens, they can actually go and they can vote for the uh, proposals on Snapshot because we do value their opinion, but we don't want to force them into buying the tokens on open market. And at the same time, we don't have to give them the tokens, which kind of dilutes the value of the tokens if you're just always using your token to reward uh, certain actions. And this is also why we're using uh, ETH or USDC for any bounties that we produce. We don't pay out DIA tokens, but we do uh, pay out tokens such as ETH or, or USDC. I think it's phenomenal that, you know, you actually pay out uh, your voters, uh, you know, uh, through DIA and all of that. You know, I just had a similar conversation with Tommy Olofsson in our past episode where I pointed out that why isn't this experiment being tried out to drive up engagement in terms of voting? And you're practically the first project that I'm speaking to that's trying it out actively. So, uh, your observation that it's kind of driven up the voting, it's kind of a good positive there. But And I am now much more intrigued to keep track of what's going on in terms of governance because uh, in terms of incentivized voting, you're the first that's coming into our uh, circle that way. And I'll be keeping a great lookout that way. But then your point also makes sense that uh, people will just vote for the heck of it. How do you have uh, people who are voting uh, with Dia's goals first and uh, making that vote happen rather than, okay, I'm getting paid for that. And I think uh, what could be like a great uh, balancer is um, if you take a look at Snapshot, you now have the opportunity to um, to post a comment while you make the vote. Uh, that's kind of like an on-chain message, you know. So what if, you know, if we could have like a mix of AI uh, along with snapshot, you know, where uh, if you could just train the AI to learn, okay, is this vote put in the best interest of DR or not? And we have this filter where uh, voters should post exactly why they made that vote happen and when that vote goes out. And if the AI was just like kind of neutral, could either way, yes or no, it's fine. As long as it's done in the best interest of EIA, uh, you know, of DIA, the AI should be able to make a call on whether that voter should be uh, rewarded or not. I think that could be like a phenomenal uh, thought experiment that could uh, go into uh, deciding, you know, how this sort of decentralized governance could play out, you know. Uh, it just kind of takes away uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the verification of these votes from uh, the community as well, and you have someone neutral. I mean, this is just off the top of my head from this conversation. I, uh, I am sure that you know, through, with your community and the broader ecosystem, a lot of great ideas could be popping out of this. And uh, what I want to understand at this point is, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, it's great that you know you kind of have incentivized voting. Uh, I'm also kind of curious to see. Uh, you mentioned that you know having this core team of people. Um, that's aligned with DIA uh, is kind of having a greater role. Um, but at the same time, uh, a lot of questions have always come about uh, the bounty structure in general. You know, I mean, we've kind of heard from other communities and things like that, that the contributors don't like uh, the bounty structure. You know, it's very hard to keep track of bounties when there are like 100, 200 people and it's kind of leads to like a mercenary uh, culture. There's not a lot of loyalty there, uh, but the, your um, uh, your sentiment about it says otherwise. You know, so uh, on one hand, you're creating this incentivized voting, you're creating this bounty structure. 
uh, how has the engagement been in terms of creating this uh, loyal and dedicated bunch of people and how has it improved productivity compared to having a core team i'm speaking uh, uh, you know from the point of view about decentralizing the team you know if a project has to look at decentralizing it uh, has your approach worked or not it's just uh, out of that angle i'm kind of asking yeah that that's also a great question so i think uh, we initially had some i wouldn't say problems but challenges because uh, most of the contributors that first came to to the dao they were also contributors in other daos and some other daos are basically pure DAOs, as we call them, they have open treasury um, and they have these roles instead of bounties, which we kind of envisioned to do at some point. Uh, but we said, yeah, let's first see who is able to fit into a certain role and then let's see what roles do we actually need. Let's not create roles just for the sake of DAO members having their positions uh, because this becomes unsustainable. Just imagine that every role that you add adds to the uh, regular costs that you will have to to eat up every month, and it really affects the burn rate that, that the company has. Um, the problem with Oracle is that it's 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 a non-revenue business model so far, which means that most of the Oracles are not earning any money by providing these Oracle services. Uh, mostly, we have treasuries from our ICOs or or from VC-funded organizations. So um the problem here was not to the idea was to kind of push out bounties and projects according to the needs that the core team has so basically the work DAO acts as like a support system for the core team but of course sometimes it supports this support system and the core team kind of get intermingled uh, when we have this kind of bigger projects um where we basically work together on those. They basically fit a role within this project. One example being, um, once we kind of started this DAO, we, we said, okay, we have our own DIA Twitter profile, but we also need a Twitter profile that is the voice of the DIA DAO community. So we created DIA Community Hub on Twitter, uh, which now I think almost passed 1,500 followers in the last three or four or five months which I think it's great, but all the content produced there comes from our DIA contributors. So DIA DAO contributors, uh, we don't produce any of the content ourselves. They do kind of take a look at what do we do with the DIA account. And then we, they kind of try to support these uh, initiatives. But now we've built like a, we've built a persona or like a profile that doesn't just support DIA, but also provides a lot of educational content on how do decentralized exchanges work? How do, uh, what are different kinds of stable coins, uh, deep dives into different ecosystems such as Arbitrum, Metisda and so on. So they do produce all these sorts of content. And this was kind of derived by creating this uh, DIADAO structure. Um, on the same side, we have community moderation done by our con community members. Um, and uh, all the research that we do um, all of these kind of big uh, content pieces we do, those are all basically uh, created by our, our DAO contributors. Um, sorry, I got a bit sidetracked. What was the original question? I mean, uh, for teams that are looking to uh, progressively decentralize, you know, uh, uh -huh. 
you know, just taking a look at the existing engagement and all of that, just wanting to understand how has it worked out for you in terms of uh, achieving your goals and all of that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, initially we were kind of afraid because there was a pressure on, on us why we're just doing this as bounties, why we're not doing this as other DAOs. Uh, but yeah, as I previously mentioned, we just had to kind of really clearly communicate this with the community that we're taking things slowly. We just launched the DAO in, in, in this kind of scope in June last year, so it's not even been a year. Um, and basically we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We are, we are kind of aware of all the risks that DAOs uh, can create uh, through this whole of this governance process. Um, so we said, okay, look, we, what we do now is we created the infrastructure, uh, we onboarded a lot of members, and now we're focusing on the bounties that kind of represent the main initiatives that we're kind of uh, doing or looking after. Um, and once we got this kind of expectation settled down, um, I think things got much easier because there was not a pressure on the team to push a, a new bounty for each guild every day or every week, but basically to focus. So we've kind of focused on the strategy, on the bigger picture, and then based on the bigger picture, we decide what the goals are. And then based on the goals, uh, we form projects or let's say list of tasks that need to be completed in order for these goals to be achieved. And then based on these goals, we create a project, which we then kind of populate with different uh, contributors in order to complete. Um, and I think this is this is the the structure that we have. Uh, but going forward, we will definitely try to get more and more these four uh, roles uh, for different uh, DAO members. But as I said, at the moment, uh, it just creates, it forces you to scale too fast. So if we were to appoint 10 people to regular positions now, but we are still like, uh, we have like one or two years of really extreme bear market ahead. Uh, we would be burning much more, um, much more money than we we would need actually. Because also in the bear market, as you know, people are not as susceptible of the crypto markets at all. Uh, the content that you produce gets seen by much less people. There is not much effect of doing these uh, paid campaigns, and also. Uh, the VCs and other funding institutions are not really funding too many projects, which means that um, we're, there are not too many potential clients coming uh, into our pipeline as well. So uh, we're kind of aware of the market situation right now. We're not sure whether we're still in the bear market or we're kind of out of it. Um, but given the macro macroeconomic uh, outlook, we do believe that there is still some pain uh, ahead of the markets, and uh, this is why we're kind of decided to uh, build, uh, to do a lot of valuable content, to build new products, uh, but basically to build this infrastructure so that we're able to scale when uh, when things really, really start to move. So, Anjay, I think uh, that you made a very valid point, you know, uh, that most DAOs kind of made the mistake of uh, when they scale their uh, contributor base a lot and that is their DAO scale too fast and it just kind of leads to uh, without an uh, without an understanding of what your runway is going to be and you kind of have so much people uh, considering how cyclical the market is going to be uh, you know you just kind of 
lead to a problem where you lose out on money fast is uh, when we when you have too many contributors then then the morale is just going to go sinking faster than the titanic did you know and looking at the uh, existing uh, last year's market as well you know a lot of major daos went through tremendous layoffs before luna even crashed before ftx you know before all of these things happened uh, most of these defi protocols started having major issues and just laid off a lot of people for me that was uh, like a signal that bear market was coming way before even ftx happened because your point was right because they scaled too fast didn't have that sort of runway and really had to lay off a lot of people and that's something our teams looking to decentralize should keep that in mind and and i think uh, yeah i think sorry to interrupt but i think this is a very very uh, real problem in not just in crypto but just, let's just take a look at all the uh, tech companies uh, that like starting from 2018 when or let's say 2020 the, like all these uh, venture capital funds were funding any project that had some idea about ai or like quick delivery or quick commerce or uh whatever whatever was trending at that time um these companies were forced by millions and millions of dollars to grow on a exp- exponential level but what happened then in 2021 and 2022 they basically started to lay off people because why during this bull market even in stocks they were hiring thousands and thousands of people but i think if you if you have some experience working for a small startup you realize that you don't really need a lot of people if you have like a digital product of course if you have something that requires logistics um or or something that it's happening in real life uh, you do need people on the ground uh, doing this operational stuff but if you're a digital company you can always decide whether to have this organic growth or to really have this hyper fueled growth where you basically just throw money in marketing hire more people to create more content and then basically just do everything that you can at the same time but what happens as soon as these venture capital uh, funds say hey you know what we're not doing another round i think you had enough it's now time to become profitable and then you have to look within your within your company and you, you have to realize that wow we have like 70% of people who we don't even know what they're doing like we have too many people for that amount of work and this is also why like coinbase uh, laid off thousands of people google laid off thousands of people facebook laid off thousands of people is because it was uncontrolled growth um and yeah we are ki- just kind of aware of all these things we know that by doing this fast growth we could burn um part of our treasury much faster and we could achieve a much uh, higher growth but we never know what's going to happen tomorrow what new product uh, idea we have tomorrow or uh, how the market will switch um so we prefer to take things slowly organically and build teams step by step um and i think the achievement that we made to to build uh, a dao um community with over 700 members in less than one year uh, by not doing any promotions any paid promotions or anything um i think that's that's an amazing result uh, on its own um so i'm happy that we didn't go uh create too many roles or going to this too fast uh because then you're kind of trapped into uh what you're doing and you just have to continue doing it whereas now we have all this flexibility to really jump on new trends 
uh, to build new products and to uh, create projects that are helping us right now, not something that would help us when the bull market comes. I mean, that's a pretty, uh, I mean, how do I put it? Like a pragmatic advice there, you know, that uh, while it's okay to be a DAO, uh, but when you're also kind of functioning as this hybrid or when you're like fully decentralized, uh, you can't ignore the fundamentals of your having your runway set and of having like, uh, like an aligned or uh, how do you put it? That sort of nimble teams working through each shape, you know, each form of the web market or the bull market. And that is something that uh, every team that's either looking to progressively decentralize or uh, is decentralized from the start should kind of keep that in mind as they continue to operate and um, kind of manage their uh, teams going forward. And uh, with that, you know, the way proposals are kind of shaped uh, in terms of uh, you look at the information that's given out, it's kind of uh, focused more on the idea, it's focused more on how the proposal is shaped for that particular idea. But then if the community was not oriented around the fundamentals of DI, if information is given on uh, what exactly is the runway looking like and some sort of forecasting ability is made mandatory, it just allows for the community to shape, uh, you know, their thinking better around the world uh, rather than uh, the sort of um, narrow-minded, uh, like a lack of foresight when it comes to the proposals that kind of affected a lot of these DAOs um, where, you know, that led to all these layoffs in the first place. You know, if that sort of filters could be, could be categorically pretty insane. And with that, you know, uh, it, this conversation was kind of a very good, um, um, how do I put it, like, for, for me personally, I really understood a lot about the sort of challenges that came when you were looking to de progressively decentralize this whole thing. I think teams going forward also will kind of look at this conversation from your side, Anjay, and really find it enlightening. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Thank you so much for coming in and uh, making this wonderful conversation happen. You know, uh, the sort of insights that you gave out was pretty fantastic. And I am really intrigued to see what uh, the DR project has ahead and the wonderful community that have shaped up. Uh, do let the community know uh, right now, Anze, about what we can expect from DR going forward, what we can expect from you going forward, and how can people keep track of all these things? Yeah, thank you. And uh, really thanks for inviting me here. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, so I hope that with my insights, I was able to kind of ease up the process of building a DAO, building a community for anyone who's listening this. Also note that my DMs are always open. Um, I'm happy to chat with any new projects or new DAOs that are coming up, uh, share some details. Of course, some things are um, we cannot share, but I think for these general ideas, I'm always very, very healthy, happy to share. Um, and when it comes to DIA and us growing forward, uh, we do have a few products set up uh, that I think will be quite interesting for the DeFi, uh, for the DeFi space. I wouldn't really talk about it too much now. Um, just follow us on Twitter. Uh, our handle is DIA data uh, underscore org. Uh, and also follow DIA community hub, our, our DIA DAO contributor profile. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I said, anyone that wants to reach out or wants to join the DIA DAO is welcome to do so. Uh, we're currently not 
focusing too much on onboarding new members. As I said, we already have 700, uh, but note that I do check. Uh, I personally check every application that we get, and I make, make sure that those that uh, really apply with a specific set skills are always onboarded uh, in a timely manner, and they do get uh, responsibilities within the DAO. Um, so going forward, we'll focus on building new products, uh, further decentralizing our infrastructure, uh, and definitely we're working on giving the people more, uh, more voice, more voting rights, uh, but leading this decentralization in a way that will protect uh, the foundation that we've built uh, and making sure that the people who have the power are people who do understand it and... Um, uh, understand it and uh, basically have the same kind of vision uh, that we do.